We need to find Kronos. How? He could be anywhere. Sometimes the old ways are best. It's not gonna work. You don't know your way around here. A lot of things have changed. Are criminals still superstitious and cowardly? Yep. Good enough for me. Welcome to episode 28 of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm Michael Bradley. And this week we'll be taking a break from our normal quest to cover everything Batman from the beginning. Because we've finished covering another year. Yay! Uh, Yay! (laughs) Yeah, we sound so thrilled, huh? Uh, Another year's worth of Batman under our belt. So as always, and by always I mean for our second time, uh, we'll be pausing for an overall retrospective of both... Batman, and the year in general, with our year in review of 1940. Like last time, Mike and I will also be going over our picks for worst and, more importantly, best of the year at the end of the episode. Um, And also, like last time, we've kept it secret from each other, so this will be the first time we're uh, discovering what we actually like, although I guess we could take some guesses. Um, And also, we will be looking at the year outside of Batman, just to keep a perspective on what's going on at the time all these stories were being cranked out. And deciding the best and the worst was a lot harder this year. Not not just because we took six months off in the middle, but we just had a lot more stories to look through. Oh, yeah. 1939 was a piece of cake. It was like I could actually remember every story we had read. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I didn't even have to, like... Well, there was nine stories, so... Right. Yeah. I didn't even have to reread anything to know what I already liked and didn't like. This year, I had to scour through it all again and remind myself... Did you go? Did you go back and reread all the stories, or? You know what I did is I went to, not to plug him shamelessly, but I went to Mike's Amazing World of DC, mm. and um, kind of read his summaries. That's which, second best, I which guess. Which reminded me of what the story was about, and then I also had the books out and was kind of just flipping through them, yeah. you know, seeing if anything popped out at me. It all came back eventually. Well, just for a quick rundown of 1940, kind of by the numbers. Batman is still only appearing in one media, comic books, obviously, Mm -hmm. and those comics gave us 17 different issues with Batman appearing on the cover of each and every issue. We had 13 issues of Detective Comics, three issues of Batman, and one issue of New York World's Fair Comics. Um, In those 17 comics, we had 26 stories and two special features, uh, Meet the Artist from Batman Number 1, which told us all about Bob Kane, and then The Batman Says from Batman number three, which told us to uh, not be criminals or something. Yeah. Uh, and then we had a, a reprint of the origin uh, in Batman number one, which was originally from Detective 33 from right. 1939. Yeah. 
And uh, putting those stories together, or stories and features, were six different creators. One writer, Bill Finger. One editor, Whitney Ellsworth, because he took over with the first issue of the year. And four different artists, Bob Kane, Jerry Robinson, George Rousseau, and one cover from Jack Burnley. Yeah, so this was the year of uh, of Batman really breaking out, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, it's the most appearances to date, but it's also his first full year, so there's not a lot to uh, compare, you know, to previously. True. Uh, but it's also notable that 1940 saw Batman, you know, venturing out of Detective Comics for the mm-hmm. first time and into the pages of not just the World's Fair comic, but also his own self-titled book which is actually a a nice segue into sharing some information I just found uh, this week about the Batman logo. The earliest Batman stories used a few different logos, eventually settling on what we called the Superbat logo, because it was clearly inspired by the Superman logo uh, from Action Comics number one, and that was, I think, Mike's favorite part of the year. Yeah. But... uh, Finally, with Detective Comics number 40, they debuted the now-classic uh, Batman logo, and a variation of that would also be used on the cover of the self-titled Batman book. According to Todd Klein, who is a longtime letterer with DC and has lettered more than 2,000 stories, uh, Jerry Robinson told him in 2009 that he is the one that designed that logo. Really? Uh, the one used on the stories and... The one on the cover of the issues of Batman, as we've pointed out previously, are, are actually different. It's the same basic approach, but with the major difference being that the letter styles themselves are different. Uh, Klein said it wasn't really clear from the chat they had whether Robinson did both or just the first one, but Klein surmised that they that he probably did both of them. And uh, when we do the show post for this episode, I'll put links in there to the the blog entry that. Todd Klein did. He's actually done a five-part study looking at Batman's logo throughout the years. Wow. That I found kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anything but, that's 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 complete coverage of something that nobody cares about is just awesome with me. <laughs> that's why you listen to so many podcasts. Yep. Uh, but like I said, you know, 1940 was Batman's first full year, which is definitely significant. And the biggest highlight for the year for me was just the parade of new characters that we got. Not just minor characters like McGonagall that aren't really more than a footnote, but major characters that go on to be major parts of the Batman mythology, like Hugo Strange and Robin and the Joker and Catwoman and Clayface. The Joker and Robin and Catwoman are pretty much synonymous with Batman to the point where they've all appeared in virtually every non-comics incarnation of Batman. I mean, the Joker and Catwoman weren't in the serials, and Nolan hasn't used Robin, but other than that, you've got you know animation and mm-hmm. the, the 90s movies, and it's just... Um, Hugo Strange and Clayface are probably less familiar to non-comics readers, especially this version of Clayface, but he's still... You know, some versions of both are still very much a part of the character today and have worked their way into a lot of other... Uh, incarnations yeah um sorry um like uh hugo strange for instance was the villain on the latest batman video game the uh arkham city arkham city Mm -hmm. and clayface is usually at least in cartoon form he's like an amalgam of multiple different clayfaces so right uh just to compare that to other characters from around the time superman took a lot longer to start bringing in 
the mainstay characters. I mean, he and Lois were there from the beginning, but by the end of 1940, Luthor was the only villain, aside from the ultra-humanite who didn't appear after 1940 until the Bronze Age. Um, Jimmy had shown up in the radio, but nowhere else, and George Taylor and, well, slash Perry White had been named, but they weren't regularly playing a big part in the stories. It seems like Superman... Most, not most of, but a lot of the things staples came from places outside of the comic books. Is that true, or Um, like Kryptonite, and maybe his origin was a little more defined? It seemed like in the radio, and well, the the origin really got a a good fleshing out in the newspapers. Okay, which is outside of comics, but it was still written by Jerry Siegel. Yeah, Um, but yeah, a lot of things like you know, the the newspaper being called the, uh, the Daily Planet. Well, no, that came from the newspapers, too. What am I thinking? But Jimmy Olsen, you know, the editor being named Perry White, Kryptonite. Yeah, a lot of those big things did come from non-Siegel-written stories. Um, and as far as Batman goes, I feel like they're really – and maybe they're not, but it feels like they they really took a page from Dick Tracy in terms of trying to come up with colorful villains, memorable villains. Mm-hmm. You know? um, yeah. So that could be why right out of the gate it seems like they're – they're doing a pretty good job of coming up with uh, awesome foes for Batman to, to fight. Yeah, yeah. That actually goes nice into my next note, that I was surprised that the new characters we got this year, Clayface aside, came out of the box very similar to how they're portrayed in modern years, a lot like Batman did. Uh-huh. I, mean, I mean, Catwoman is probably the least like her modern-day counterpart, but I think the spirit of the characters is there. Yeah, she doesn't wear cat ears and whip people, but... Actually, she did wear cat ears in the last one we read, but um, her her um, femme fatale vibe is there for sure. Definitely, so, yeah. Um, and again, to compare that to Superman, just like we said in our last year in review, Batman just came out of the gate as Batman, and now his villains are coming out of the gate as the villains we all know and love. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. Superman's still beating up mayors and stuff. It's weird. I don't know. Champion of the oppressed. Yeah. Um, I I also commented in our last year in review that there was a lot of villain variety in 1939. I, I don't think that was quite the same in 1940. We didn't have any of the supernatural stuff or the madman trying to take over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess Hugo Strange kind of fits that description. But, he, yeah, sort of. Weekly. For the, well, yeah. But for the most part, it was just thugs and murder mysteries and detective themed stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that if that creativity was more from uh, uh, Fox than anything. The, yeah, the, because the truly like, bizarre villains, like the monk and Doctor Death, were both Gardner mm-hmm. Fox villains. Yeah, um, Fingers villains are still largely cut from the same mold, being that they're after money or revenge, mm-hmm. um, and that's a very uh, prominent motive in a lot of comic book stories. But and, and to his credit, he did give us the Joker and Catwoman. But still, they're you know they're after the money Joker's and after jewels and <laughs> money. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So far, anyway. But moving on to other things, uh, like we mentioned last episode, Gotham City was finally named in 1940. But there were still many explicit New York City references uh, throughout the year. We we didn't really get a lot of new gadgets and tech. Uh, Mike made a list that was. I guess he mentioned a few things I had forgotten about, too. Um, well, that... yeah. My list, I don't know that a lot of it is staples, and that's probably what we're really looking for. Mm. Like, I put, you know, infrared goggles. That's not really, like, necessarily a Batman thing. It was cool to see. Well, yeah. But you don't see, you don't think Batman 
automatically think infrared goggles. You know, obviously he's been doing that for a while, but um, we had Joker, Joker toxin. That's a big one. Okay. For me, just because that's how the Joker kills everybody. It's fun. Um, wire. You know, this is another one that's not so big, but like wireless communication. That was the first time we saw them talking in their belt buckles. Right. Um, we had the bat plane. No, no, we didn't. Bat plane was already. In. Oh, I put bat plane because before that, this year it was a bat gyro more than anything. It was more like a bat helicopter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got two major reworkings. First, removing the helicopter or the not the helicopter, but the propeller, and then closing in the cockpit last issue. Mm-hmm. And then, in addition to the bat plane, we got where the bat plane is housed, which is the bat barn. I called it, but really, it's just a <laughs> barn, secret barn. Right. Um, With a tunnel leading to it. Yeah. We had uh, the Bat- Gotham City, which you already mentioned, in the last issue of the year. Um, we had Robin. I, re- I put down Robin's Roadster, but I really have no clue if we'll ever see that again. Um, it's certainly nothing I've ever heard of before, so it's obviously not that big a deal in the Batman right. world, but it was still cool to see. And then speaking of Roadsters, obviously the last issue also gave us the Batmobile, at, awesome. least, at least named, finally. <laughs> right. Um but speaking of things that carried over from 1939, we had Julie Madison, but she only made two appearances. Uh, one panel in Detective 39 and then a larger role in Detective 40. And really, Detective 40 was her only significant appearance. Uh, this was Bill Finger's first use of the character because she was introduced in Fox's stories. So I don't know if Finger just didn't like the character or you know, didn't think she was necessary, but we've seen Bruce asking women out on dates and – and that kind of thing. So maybe yeah. he honestly did forget about her. I, I don't know. Yeah. The only thing we learned about her that we didn't know before, which was everything, is that uh, she's not, <laughs> she's an actor, apparently. Right. Yeah. Um, she shows up in one final Golden Age story in 1941, so maybe we can talk more about it then. Um, it's just really a shame that, except for Bob Kane, the creators of – Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman didn't give more interviews about their work on the characters and stuff because, you know, all of Siegel and Schuster's later interviews were marred by the lawsuit stuff, and um, Bill Finger and and Wonder Woman's two creators both died relatively young before fandom really grew to the point where they were searching these people out. Uh, yeah. We or we'd probably know more about the creation, but it's also a shame that she's such a wasted character because, um. You'd think it'd be kind of interesting that a superhero by night would have a fiance by day, right? You know, they didn't do anything with her really. So yeah. Oh well. Um, my next note is, is this is kind of getting into the tone and the attitude of the stories. I think there was a slight shift in Batman's attitude and personality throughout the year, but not anywhere to the degree that most people think happened around this time. We saw him acting more as the smiling, hands-on-hip hero, but he's still not that duly deputized officer of the law. You know, he's still evading the police and Commissioner Gordon, and we didn't. We we really didn't get much more of Commissioner Gordon in 1940 than we did in 1939. But when he was there, he's you know he's not exactly on the same page as Batman. Yeah, I would say they skirted with the idea of him being an above-board superhero a couple times. Yeah, and and the people themselves in the story, like the the non law enforcement people, seem to be warming to him mm-hmm. and there, know that he's a force for good. There was that story where they got statues in their honor and 
I can't remember what that one was about now, but um, uh, that was the um, it's like terror in a small town. That's not what the name of it was, but it was um, something to that effect. Oh yeah, Case you're right. Case of the City of Terror. That's, what that's it was. one of the two two stories about them cleaning up an unnamed town or whatever. Yeah, right. That was the last story we did before our break. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were things like that, but yeah, you're right. For the most part, he's still. I mean, he's definitely smiling a lot more, and he's not yeah. killing anybody. But and just Robin being there makes it more lighthearted. Whether Batman's acting lighthearted or not, right? Robin yeah, is but- so. But just looking at Batman, though, and, in, and ignoring his surroundings, I would say mm-hmm. there's been a, a slight tonal shift, but he's still pretty much the same guy he was. Yeah. Like you said, he stopped killing, more or less, but he's still, you know, kicking butt and taking names. He's, right. He's doing the quips and puns that he was doing when Finger wrote the stories. and. Yeah, that's true. He did do those before Robin, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like I said in the 1939 stories, I think people being just now introduced to the character – through his modern comics, would feel much more at home with these stories than someone being introduced to today's Superman or Wonder Woman and looking at their Golden Age stories. Right. And I stand by that even with the New 52 reboot, which did somewhat bring the Superman as Champion of the Oppressed idea back, kind of. Kind of, yeah. Not quite the same vibe as the Golden Age, but... Yeah, no. Um, Now, I didn't go back and reread all 29 stories, or 26 stories. Was it 20, 26? It's 26 and then three non-stories. So. Oh, right. I didn't go back and reread all that, so the ones we've covered since we took our break are a little fresher in my mind. But it seems like the stories in the last quarter of the year had lighter elements in them. I mean, the last story we covered before our hiatus, like I said, was the town with the statues. Mm-hmm. Um, we came back and had the story with the dream sequence with Batman and Robin fighting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Giant dwarves and elves. Uh-huh. Uh, the crime school for boys and money can't buy happiness had Batman taken on social problems. Mm-hmm. I know the stories are going to get progressively lighter and lighter as we keep going forward, but I kind of hope those stories aren't a sign of where we're going because I do prefer the crime and mystery stories for Batman, even if they have a lighter tone to them. Yeah, I agree. There was also that story before our break where the missing link wasn't really I mean it was crime based a little bit mm. but it was also more about you know poor yeah. big poor big giant had to get killed right um and even the Hugo Strange one where he's mutating people was kind of the same vibe like <laughs> it's, it's too bad I have to hang this guy from my bat plane but anyway um yeah I definitely prefer the crime stories um I do think the occasional eh, well maybe not cuz so far it's been kind of a failure but I don't I don't uh, dislike the fact that Finger tried, say, the dream story we covered, even though neither of us really liked it. It's kind of neat to just do something a little different, because you're talking about a monthly book. so. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I don't mind him having solving social problems as long as it's as a side benefit of fighting crime. Right, yeah. I guess I just... Um... See if I can say this the right way. Maybe react a little different to that with Batman because it seems so much more of a Superman thing in the Golden Age. True. But on the other hand, you'd almost think Batman would be more about that sort of thing. Maybe not. I don't know. I guess he should be anti-crime first and foremost. But right. But he's also kind of one of these guys who wants the world to be the way he wants it to be. Well, yeah. So I don't know. Um, since Robin just debuted, we don't really have much to discuss as far as changes, but looking at his portrayal in the 
10 months, you know, a lot like the villains, he was portrayed very close to what I expected. I, I've seen it said before that as soon as Robin debuted, he took over the 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 strip, uh-huh. but while Robin's been involved in all but one story since his debut, we still haven't we, we still have gotten a decent amount of solo Batman, especially in the ones that we've covered since we've been back. I'm actually very surprised how little they've used him. Yeah. Um, he seems I mean, to be there for the climax mm-hmm. and for exposition, and that's about it. Or to follow somebody so Batman can follow somebody else. Right. Or, you know, that's about it. I mean, it seems like every story involves Batman saying, okay, Dick, I'm going out. See you later. Yeah. Um, I mean, when he first appeared, there was a lot of Robin-centric stories, but he was also a new character, and they wanted to have fun Show with him it. off. Right. Yeah, but now it's really died back. Mm-hmm. As far as his portrayal, sometimes he is just a mini Batman. You know, he's throwing guys around, making puns, that kind of thing. And you could swap out the characters and not change the story at all. But I've also been surprised that he's his own character quite a bit of the time too. Mm-hmm. They've they've referenced his time in the circus. He's doing things that only he could do because he's a kid. Like you know, he went undercover on the boat in the first Catwoman story. He enrolled in the boy school. Um, he was rallying the kids in that uh, where they went to the other city, and mm-hmm. he played a big role in the crime school for boys, that kind of thing. His his personality and, and intelligence seem a little different, and while I realize a lot of that is just to serve the exposition, he's not just completely a shorter version of Batman either. Right, especially on good stories where they have a less punny Batman who – Seems to stick with his more darker roots. Batman or Batman and Robin definitely seem like different characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, not really a lot of differences with Commissioner Gordon. So my next note. <laughs> oh, he appeared. Uh, let's see. I actually counted it. He appeared six times. Wow. Um, how many and, times did he appear in 1939? Only like two or three times because Fox didn't use him, right? I don't remember if we counted that year, but. Uh, I did. I thought he appeared even less than six, which is why I bothered to count because I probably wouldn't have if I thought it was that many times. I thought it was just going to be like one or two. Um, yeah, every single time involved him maybe one or two panels, and I think one time there was a little personality where he yelled at McGonagall to shut up, right. which was kind of fun. But yeah, we haven't learned anything about this guy since his debut. And honestly, it may be a long time before we do. True. Just just guessing. Um, you also had a note here I see about Wong. I forgot all about Wong. Wong, yeah, I had a, a list of new and reoccurring characters. Most of them are pretty obvious, but I forgot about Wong, too. He actually appeared twice in 1940. Um, no, he appeared the first time in 1939. Um, and then appeared early in 1940. Unfortunately, it was his second and final appearance because right. he was he had a machete in the back, but... I really liked him. I thought it was cool because he was like the first Batman agent right. of, the, of the underworld. Like he reported to him about, uh, you know, bad things going down in Chinatown. Um, and I also thought that they treated him pretty well considering he was a uh, he was Chinese or Asian. I'm not even sure what, what he was supposed to be. But considering it was 1940, they could have done a lot worse as far as stereotyping yes. goes. Yeah, I was just getting ready to say that as a non-white non-American character in 1940, he was very... Uh, cool. Right. Yeah. Right. I would have loved to see more of him just on a regular basis, but oh well. 
just need to at least see him twice, I guess. Maybe we will get Black Lantern Wong after all. I don't know. <laughs> um, that's really all the the characters that we had. Um, McGonagall, I guess, showed up for two appearances, but um, I think you kind of warmed to him more than I did. Yeah, I liked him. I would have liked to see more, but not every not every story, mind you. But yeah, um, I thought he was fun. It was too bad that both stories were in the same book. They could have spread it out a little bit, but uh, were they in? This? Oh yeah, they yeah they were. I forgot because we covered them separate. But yeah, they were in the same book, Batman number three. Hmm. Uh-huh. Um, moving on to kind of art related comments. As the year went on, they seemed to have finally settled on a look for Batman. Uh-huh. But if you look at the earliest stories compared to the final stories of the year, there was quite a bit of progression. We didn't notice it as much because. It was a lot more gradual, mm-hmm. but there is definite progression. Yeah, it went from Flash Gordon looking to Dick Tracy looking, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Not a lot of changes in Robin, though, surprisingly. He's still the awkwardly big-headed kid, and his costume mm-hmm. looks pretty much the same. And I think for a while there, they were having trouble figuring out what to draw Bruce Wayne like, as we've mentioned. Yeah. Uh, he was looking rather weird. For a while, but now he's back to kind of normal again. Uh, stylistically, I, I noticed looking through the stories, there seemed to be a lot less repetition of poses. Mm-hmm. But but there is still a lot of that going on, so maybe it's just they found more poses to repeat, so it doesn't seem like they're repeating the same ones over and over. I think he's also just getting more help. And by he, I mean Bob Kane is getting... Uh, I, th- I think those inkers and background inkers that are being... Uh, uh, credited as such, probably we're doing a lot more than that. Could be, yeah. But overall, the art got weaker and sloppier as the year went on. I mean, note the frequent lack of chest symbol. It's mm-hmm. just one example. Um, it seems like it started r- right around or right after the Batman book started, so maybe they were just overworked. I, I don't know. Uh, the Superman books kind of had the same problem when they were started doing more stories. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking they better shape up. The Batman stories better shape up because in 1941 they're going to be adding World's Finest, which is another four stories per year, and Batman increases to bi-monthly towards the end of the year. So they're going to have even more work on their hands. I would definitely agree with you that it's sloppier and it's more cartoony, which one could say is probably easier, although that may not be true. Um, cause sometimes minimalism is a lot harder, but, uh, there were definitely some really cool shots that they did accomplish though. Oh yeah. Um, some pinups that we've, we've gushed about and also just the occasional, like they're really making good use of his shadow these days that I really like some of those panels. Um, but then as you were talking about the artwork, I started thinking about last year's and some of those panels we talked about and they were so much more detailed than yeah than these are this year so yeah it is it has kind of downgraded a little bit uh, but that's all the notes i had about the well as far as the stories um, i thought it was a pretty strong year overall i mean there was there were definitely some weak stories but um when i was doing my awards i had a harder time picking the best story than i did the weakest story so that tells me that it was a good year oh yeah especially considering he went from nine stories to 26 stories mm-hmm. or 20. Yeah. 26 stories. Um, I would say the average this year is much better than the average last year. Um, 
if we're going by baseball statistics. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I mean, there were definitely some bad stories, but there was this was like the year of Batman because he got his own book and he got Robin and got a lot of cool gadgets and he got the, the Joker, most, the his most number one villain, his some of his most famous villains. Yeah, well, I guess just Joker and Catwoman really, but even Hugo Strange to some degree and. Yeah, it's really feeling, and Gotham City and the Batmobile and all that. It's really feeling like Batman's coming into his own this year, so. I guess you weren't so tough after all, were you? Now it's time to send you to the next dimension. 291 original episodes. This can't be. It's still going up. 325 monster chapters. You act innocent, but you're deadly. Time to die! Dozens of characters, hundreds of enemies, and a whole lot of violence. That kind of violence is pointless! You see, Super Saiyans tend to be a bit violent. Oh, crap! Join hosts Donovan and Jesse as they cover the arrival of the Saiyans, the journey to Namek, the battle with Frieza, the mystery of the androids, and the terror of Majin Buu. The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Join the fight at dbznextdimension.libson.com. See ya. Uh, but speaking of this year, like we did last time, um, we're going to give a little bit of 1940 history. We like to do that once a year. We, we were thinking about doing that every episode, but forget that. We'll do it once a year, and that way it'll... Remind us what's going on at the time all this is all this is coming out. And I I am in charge of the world history. Mike will be doing uh, media after that. Um, like we ended last year, World War II had just started. So most of my world history is going to be really depressing, folks, because <laughs> bad things are happening all around. Um, and I'm not a World War II buff, so I tried to pick out the ones that I thought sounded the most important, but... If you are a huge World War II fan or knowledgeable about World War II and are slapping your forehead going, I can't believe he didn't mention this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. Write in and tell us because, yeah. you know, help us out. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, starting in January, January 8th, food rationing began in Great Britain. January 10th uh, is something called the Michelin Incident. I may be pronouncing that wrong, but a German plane carrying secret plans for the invasion of Western Europe makes a forced landing in Belgium, leading to mobilization of defense forces in the Low Countries. Sounds so like not... the setup for a Batman story right there. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, January 26th in Brisbane, Brisbane, Australia, had its hottest day on record with 109 degrees, 109.76 degrees. Um, that was probably the Nicest piece of news for this year. Uh, January 29th, three gasoline-powered trains carrying factory workers crash and explode in Japan, killing 181 people and injuring 92. February 1st, the Winter War begins when Russia forces, when Russian forces launch a major assault on Finnish troops. And February 22nd, in Tibet, four-year-old Tenzin Gyatso is proclaimed the rebirth of the 13th Dalai Lama. That's kind of a nice one, too. February 27th, Martin Kamen and Sam Rubin discover carbon-14, which is what's used for carbon dating. March 3rd, Caden Massacre. Members of the Soviet Committee sign an order for the execution of 25,700 Polish uh, 
intelligence officers, including 14,700 Polish POWs. It's not exactly a high point in the year, is it? No. Uh, it's just starting. March 12th, the Soviet Union and Finland signed a peace treaty in Moscow, ending the Winter War. The territorial concessions are considered harsh by the Finns, along with the rest of the world. March 18th, Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini meet in the Alps and form an alliance against France and the United Kingdom. April 7th, author and political advisor Booker T. Washington becomes the first African-American to be depicted on a United States postage stamp. April 9th, Germany invades Denmark and Norway. April 23rd, a fire at the Rhythm Nightclub in Mississippi kills 198 people. So that's fun. Uh, May 10th is a big day. German Germany invades the Low Countries. Battle of France begins. Battle of Netherlands begins. Invasion of Luxembourg begins. Iceland is invaded by the United Kingdom. And Neville Chamberlain can't take the pressure and resigns. And Winston Churchill becomes the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. All on May 10th. So, big day. Uh, May 15th, even bigger, the very first McDonald's restaurant opens. <laughs> wow. In San Bernardino, California. So, next year you'll be telling us about how the American cholesterol level went up. <laughs> yeah. 15 right. points, right? Okay. Exactly. Uh, maybe next year Batman will be plugging some McDonald's in his books or something. Uh, oh, he tried to. Yeah. Yeah. May 20th, the Nazi Germany concentration and exter- extermination camp Auschwitz. The largest of the German concentration camps opens in occupied Poland. 1.1 million people will be killed there between May 1940 and January 1945. Your segment's much more depressing than mine. I know. You get all the fun stuff. This is really sad, but anyway. June 3rd, Paris is bombed by Germany for the first time. June 10th, Italy declares war on the United Kingdom, which was a huge stab in the back. U.S. President Roosevelt's denounced Italy's actions as a stab in the back. Uh, Canada declares war on Italy. Norway surrenders to German forces, and the French government flees to Tours. June 14th, Paris falls under German occupation. July 10th, the Battle of Britain begins. July 14th, Winston Churchill proclaims in a worldwide broadcast that, whatever the outcome, we shall seek no terms, we shall tolerate no parley, we shall show mercy. We shall ask none. July 19th, Adolf Hitler makes a peace appeal to Britain, which is flatly rejected. August 21st, Leon Trotsky, founder and first leader of the Red Army, is attacked with an ice axe in his Mexico home by a member of the Soviet Union secret police. <laughs> uh, dies from injuries sustained the following day. So that's kind of weird. Um mm-hmm. September, I don't have a date on this one. America and Great Britain agree to a deal where America will transfer 50 U.S. destroyers to Great Britain needed for escort work. September 26, the U.S. imposes a total embargo on all scrap metal shipments to Japan. September 27th, Germany, Italy, and Japan signed the Tripartite Pact, establishing the Axis powers. October 16th, the draft registration of approximately 16 million men begins in the United States. October 18th, Italian troops invade Greece, meaning strong resistance from Greek troops. November 5th, incumbent Franklin D. Roosevelt defeats Republican challenger Wendell Wilkie and becomes the United States' first and only third-term president. It's interesting Uh, seeing all the pieces kind of fall into place. Yeah, exactly. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I... You kind of see how America's like dipping its toe in the water. Yeah. Um, 
November 10th, an earthquake in Bucharest, Romania kills 1,000 people. So that wasn't even war-related. Uh, November 11th, the Royal Navy launches the first aircraft carrier strike in history on the Italian battleship fleet anchored in Toronto Naval Base at Toronto Naval Base. November 20th, Hungary, Romania, and Slovakia join the Axis powers. December 8th, the Chicago... This is a... A sports one, guys. Uh, the Chicago Bears defeat the Washington Redskins 73-0 what? in the NFL championship game, making it the most one-sided victory in National Football League history. Did the Redskins even show up? I have no idea. I've never heard of that one before. That's pretty crazy. Uh, December 14th, plutonium is first isolated chemically in a laboratory. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, December 17th, President Roosevelt sets forth his plans to send aid to Great, Brit Great Britain in what will become known as the Lend-Lease Program. And December 29th, Franklin D. Roosevelt declares in a fireside chat to the nation that the United States must become the great arsenal of democracy. And that's where we end the year. A lot of war stuff. Oh, yeah. And I would definitely expect that to be uh, a bigger part of Batman's stories next year. From the sound of it, yeah. Well, moving into media... Like last year, we have put together a little medley of, of music from throughout the year, so kick back and relax for a few minutes and enjoy the music. The other night, dear, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed I held you in my arms. But when I woke, dear, I was mistaken, and I hung my head and cried. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You never know, dear, how much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away.
with you As the years come and go Only forever If you care to know Would I grant all your wishes And be proud of the task Only forever If someone should ask How long would it take me To be near if you beckon Oh, and I would figure Less than a second Do you think I'll remember How you looked when you smiled Only forever That's putting it mild
out of the blue Suddenly it comes in view When you wish upon a star Your dreams come true When a star is born They possess a gift or two One of them is As for movies, we had Walt Disney's Pinocchio was released February 7th. It and Disney's Fantasia, which came out uh, November 13th, were actually the highest grossing films of the year. Other movies included A Chump at Oxford with Laurel and Hardy, The Grapes of Wrath with Henry Fonda, The Mark of Zorro with Tyrone Power. This was a remake of the 1920 version uh, that starred Douglas Fairbanks and was said to have influenced the creation of Batman. Yeah. Um, the Philadelphia Story with Katherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, and Jimmy Stewart. And speaking of Cary Grant, His Gal Friday with Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. The Shop Around the Corner with Margaret Sullivan and Jimmy Stewart, uh, which was then remade in 1949 with um, Judy Garland and Van Johnson. And many, many years later with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Uh, we also had The Great Dictator with Charlie Chaplin, which was uh, Chaplin's first talkie and, and one of his most successful films of his career. Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca with John Fontaine and Laurence Olivier, which also won the Academy Award for Best Picture that year. And also notable is that Tom and Jerry and Bugs Bunny both made their official debuts in animated theatrical shorts. Wow. It's funny because I just said all this really depressing stuff and then the first thing you say is, and Pinocchio came out this year <laughs> I, I had to put that one first given the uh, uh, influence it had on the, the one story we covered I, I was just thinking how could you people be watching movies at a time like this uh, but movie serials which I like to list separate because they're obviously so much more culture connected to Batman but we had Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe with Buster Crab the final Flash Gordon serial uh, the Green Hornet Strikes Again, which was the second and final Green Hornet serial. The Shadow with Victor Jory, which was the first and only Shadow serial. And Terry and the Pirates, based on the comic strip by Milton Kniff, um, even though Kniff reportedly hated the serial with a fiery passion. <laughs> uh, 
t- television is still relatively new at this point, so not much to talk about there. So moving on to radio, the Superman radio serial debuted February 12th, which is especially notable as far as Batman is concerned because both Batman and Robin appear in several storylines beginning in 1945. And also quiz shows Beat the Band and Truth or Consequences debuted in the early part of the year. As far as literature and and books, three books that I picked off a list that seemed kind of notable – First is Farewell, My Lovely by Raymond Chandler, For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway, and Horton Hatches the Egg by Dr. Seuss. This was uh, – it wasn't his first children's book, but it was one of his earliest. Is that supposed it. to be Horton Hears a Who or is that like a sequel or something? That's a separate book. Oh, yeah. okay. I need to read more. I didn't recognize any of those books. Well, you've got kids. You can read to them. For Whom the Bell Tolls is a Metallica song though. I think that might have come a little later. Oh. Yeah. We'll, we'll cover that when we get to 1980, whatever it was. Okay. Do you enjoy time travel in general and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. All right, so now it's time for the moment you've all been waiting for, where Mike and I hand out our awards for the best and worst of the year. We've actually added a new category this time with Best Opening Splash. And it was my suggestion to add Best Opening Splash to the awards because we've both liked a lot of the splashes. Uh, Once I looked at them all side by side, though, they kind of all started looking the same. So (laughs) maybe it's just one of those things that's better to enjoy with each individual story. I I don't know. I think as soon as you suggested that idea, every splash page since then has been kind of the same. It's really (laughs) weird. Yeah, it's like you um, jinxed it. I was able to narrow it down to three that I liked when I was going through trying to pick one, um, and then I eliminated one of those because it had the Superbat logo, and I knew if I picked that, you'd probably disown me as a co-host. So that left me with two, and the one that ultimately won out was the splash from the Case of the Laughing Death, which was in Detective Comics number forty-five. This splash shows Batman and Robin entering what looks to be a conservatory or a library and we see the joker in the foreground playing the violin yep the, the background is extremely detailed and i mm-hmm. love there's a piece of sheet music in the lower corner that uh is called symphony in debt or symphony in murder 
I just love the detail, you know, from the background, the books in the background to the etchings and the carvings on the table. I think uh, it's actually a rare perspective win for Kane where he got his perspective and his proportions right. So, yeah, good stuff. Um, definitely a good choice. I almost went that route myself. Um, funny you should say the Superbat logo because you're going to disown me, but I actually <laughs> – I did pick a splash page that had the Superbat logo on it. Really? I went with Detective Comics number 36. Okay. Um, and what was the name of that story? I didn't write that down. But uh, Professor Hugo Strange. Yeah. Um, Mike did this cool thing where he uh, kind of laid all the splashes and the covers out on one website. So you could just kind of look at them all at the same time as opposed to one at a time. And um, doing that, this splash just stuck out the most to me. And I remember liking it when we first read this story too. It's a, it's like a bird's eye three point perspective shot of like Batman on patrol, looking down at the street, um, kind of hiding behind a chimney. And there's like some bad stuff happening with a car and a guy running. Um, yes, the logo's there and I kind of despise that part, but otherwise I think it's all very cool. I just, I think it's a good layout. I think it's good. Uh, I think I like the shadow. I like, uh, I think this was the first time we actually see Batman patrolling, so that was fun. Mm. Yeah, it just stood out to me. My only major complaint about that splash is you can't see the symbol on, on his chest. It's all shattered out. Yeah. But, but you're right, it is a very uh, a nice shot looking down at the street, yeah. Mm. Next up we have Worst Villain, and I'll just come out and say what I picked. I picked – this is probably going to be a shocker maybe, but I picked Hugo Strange. <gasps> wow. Yes. Never, never saw that coming. <laughs> I'm serious. I uh, yeah, I kind of figured you'd say that, but um, my reasoning for it is I could have picked one of the one-off villains easily. You know, like hey, sure, Clubfoot. He was really boring. I, why not pick him? You know, but that just seemed too easy for this year because this year we had some cool reoccurring, you know, Batman villains or introduced Batman villains. Hugo wasn't introduced this year, but. You know, Joker, Catwoman, I guess just Hugo. So there's just three. But Hugo just annoyed me because I've heard of him before. So I was kind of expecting something fun. And every single story he's been in was just disappointing to me. Like he starts out as a guy who steals someone's lightning bolt technology so that he can make things fog so that he can rob banks. Okay, yawn. And then the second time, now he's a genius in his own right somehow. But he's not using technology. He's like making people grow into huge gargantuan ogres and he's slapping bulletproof vests on them and then making them punch cops so that he could rob banks while no one's looking. (laughs) And then the third one is he's making everybody insane in some underly complicated plot to turn, to take over the world by making movie theater goers insane. So I don't know. It's just, he just kind of bugged me. I mean, considering it's Hugo Strange and it's like, oh, Hugo Strange. And the fact is, this is the year, this is the last year we're going to be covering for, he's going to appear for a good long time. He doesn't come back until, what did we say, the 70s or 80s or something like that? So uh, Yeah, it was a while. So if these three stories are the entirety of his golden age existence, it's just really sad to me. I mean, it's just, and again, like I said, he's not worse than some of the bad one-shot stories, but just because I expected more from him, I guess that's why I went with him. Hmm. All right. Well, as for my choice, I'm going to be saying this a few times in the awards here, but 
this wasn't an easy choice. <laughs> Looking through the stories, I realized that most of the villains weren't necessarily bad, but it was my memory of the story that made them bad. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, last story we looked at, there wasn't anything necessarily wrong with the guys trying to break into Fort Stocks, but the, <laughs> but the writing – you know the the writing of the story to make us think they could do it like they did was pretty stupid. Yeah. And I try to make a distinction. I wanted to be snarky and say something like the cat because she was never really the big villain of any of her stories, or Batman because he was creepy and stalking that family. But in the end, I decided to play it serious and I chose Doctor Vreekill from oh. the uh, from Batman and Robin visit the 1940 New York World's Fair, wow. which might be the most cumbersome title ever. That's um, funny you say that because I thought about that guy too. So. Yeah, he had a cool name, but yep. he was a lame villain because oh, yeah. he was he was a typical bald evil scientist. And while there's nothing wrong with that, there just wasn't anything remarkable about him compared to other villains that we had this year. And then he electrocutes himself at the end thanks to a conveniently nearby open wire. Yeah, and he tells his goody two shoes niece or whatever all about his evil plans. And right. expects her to join him or something like that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but on the brighter side of things, we move on to best villain. I, I think this is going to be a, a no-brainer for Mike and I both, but I chose the Joker. <laughs> There's re- really no competition there. I mean, I like Hugo Strange, and even people like Dimitri the Puppeteer or, or Wolf the Crime Master had possibilities and felt like the kind of twisted Batman villains that are coming – even the Catwoman, or the Cat Catwoman, was a good foil, but it's the Joker. You know, come on. Uh, see, you keep jinxing it every time you say something like he would never pick a Superman logo. I picked a Superman logo. Or, <laughs> it has to be the Joker. No, I didn't pick the Joker. Wow. <laughs> I picked Catwoman. Really? Yep. Okay. Um, and my reasoning was, as fun as it was to see the Joker finally, I thought his stories were all kind of the same beat. Um, and he's not quite the Joker for me yet as far as, cause he keeps being so obsessed about money and all that. Um, okay. Well, I, I can buy that. Okay. I mean, he definitely is obsessed with payback and being creative in his killings too. So he's there, but he's just not quite there. And I know we're going to see a lot more Joker, whereas the Catwoman we're probably not going to see again, uh, for a while, a good long while. And although her stories, I think she was in three stories this year and I can't say they were, they were great. Like her first one was probably the best one, the boat where she dresses as an old lady or whatever. But it wasn't really about the stories that I liked. It was every time she and Bat- Batman interacted, I really loved it. I liked <laughs> I liked their uh, their bat and cat, you know, cat and mouse romance thing. It just right. it starts out already like that. I like the drama of the two of them being attracted to one another, but you know, not being able to do anything about it, kind of thing. It was just fun. I thought she was fun, and also I like that the uniqueness of her, in terms of uh, yes, she's a villain, but she doesn't really kill anybody, and she even saved Robin's life once, and yeah, you know, so she's a villain, but not one where you're upset when Batman lets her go. I know it's hard to do, but if you can discount everything you know from 1941 forward, would you still? I mean, and just looking at the four Joker stories, would you still? say that cat the Catwoman stories or the Catwoman won out? Well I don't think her stories are winning out for sure. But like you, I'm trying to Well I mean as far as, you know, best and worst villain go. Yeah, I do. I think hmm. I like the way I liked her interaction with Batman more. I think I think the fact that 
Joker was so fun to read is because we're applying 1941 on stuff about the Joker because they didn't really do all that much. I mean, they punched each other. They had a sword fight once. Uh, but it, sword it, fights it, are cool. It hasn't turned into epicness, epicness yet, obviously, because hmm. there's only been four stories. But I, I don't know. This is why I like doing the show with you and, and doing these awards because we obviously have very different, they're uh, very different takes. I mean, you know, you're, you're right. The stories were kind of the same, but you know, to me, they they didn't feel repetitive to the point where I got tired of them. And you know, he's got a great look and a great villain, and, and I, it's easy to see why he caught on like he did. But you know. That's just me, you know. You, you no, I mean, I, I just to clarify, I do like those stories, and he is right, certain, right, he is right. certainly like a close number two, a close second. I mean, obviously, it was really fun, but um, I think there's going to be more Joker. I think it's going to be even better and greater as we go on. So maybe I'll save him for next year or the year after or something. Okay. Well, that, like I said, this is why I like doing it because you know, if we were just doing the show, I, I, I thought sure you were going to pick the Joker. I. I of all the categories we have here, that's the one I thought I knew. And <laughs> here you throw me a curveball. So. Maybe maybe I just like throwing curveballs, but uh, but also you know he, it, he's it, got it, two lists just in case I accidentally accidentally have the same. Yeah. You know. Okay. Next up we have worst cover, and I went with drum roll detective number forty, uh, which involves. It was a Joker story, I think. Or no, it wasn't a Joker story. It was a Clayface story. That's not Joker on the cover, or it could be Joker on the cover. Um, anyway, this was around that period where the it, it seemed like the covers were a little off based on the story that was inside. Oh, okay. So this could have been maybe the Joker, but they decided at the last minute to use it on this instead. But anyway, it involves somebody looking like the Joker chopping on a, on a pole on the top of a building and, and Batman trying to stop him as Robin hangs, you know, precariously on it. And it's not that I necessarily hate it. I just feel like Robin is too up front and center. Mm -hmm. Um, like maybe if they had switched the camera around to be where the action is, Batman fighting the guy with the ax and Robin is dangling in the background about to fall to his death. That would have been cooler. Yeah. It's just like he's just hanging. It's like this huge money shot of him just hanging there looking helpless. So it was just kind of weird. I think that was supposed to be the Joker because, as I recall, there was a scene like that that happened in the second Joker story. You're right. Yep. From Batman number one. Right. So that's why I didn't even look on the inside, but inside first page is Clayface. So. Right. Yeah. Um, as for me, I didn't really think there were any – horrible covers this year mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the de the detective comics covers kind of started looking the same after a while but none that were absolutely terrible at the end i went with detective comics number 42 or 42 that's the one with like batman looming oh. large in the background and robin tackling the guy in the front <laughs> yeah it's a good I choice i understand what they were going for but it just didn't work for me and it kind of feels like they threw it together at the last minute because the part with Robin tackling the thug could have been taken from an inside panel and Batman behind him is lacking a whole lot of detail. Well, also if you have Batman looming, he shouldn't be smiling. Just makes it creepy. Yeah. And I think his shoulders are too narrow. So he kind of looks like this little kid, <laughs> kid Batman or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. On that note about 
how it was hard. It was kind of hard to pick a bad cover or even a good, the best cover. Um, and I don't know if that's a testament to them getting better on average or if that means that everything was becoming more average and nothing was really standing out anymore. Um, well, best cover for me was a little harder because I actually had several that could have went with gotten the award for that. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. But, but I think it's just a lot of the, the, the – if I can speak tonight, a lot of the Detective Comics covers are looking the same anymore. Right. And, and unfortunately, it's going to continue for a little while into 1941. But Yeah. Uh, but moving on to best cover. Like I said, we had several great covers this year, so this was a hard choice. When making my, my pick, I narrowed it down to four. Detective Comics 38, Batman number one, the New York World's Fair comic, and Batman number three. That was the easy part. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, Detective Comics 38 is an obvious choice, and it's very iconic. I loved the way Robin is busting through the cover, just like he was busting into the book. Mm-hmm. But since that image was meant for the splash page, and actually was the splash page, it had to be oddly cropped to make it work for the cover. Mm-hmm. And while I didn't say so in the episode, I don't think that peach background <laughs> is very attractive. Yeah. Um, but it, it's still a strong cover. Mm-hmm. I love the New York World's Fair cover. Seeing Superman, Batman, and Robin for the first time together is really awesome. And as I said in that episode, I love that they're all smiling and happy and that all three characters are just iconic representations of the characters from that era. Unfortunately, I realized that if you take away Superman – or if you take away Batman and Robin, there's just really not much of a draw to the cover because it's just the other character standing there, yeah. kind of dumb looking. Mm-hmm. Batman number one, I love this cover. I think it really captures the spirit of Batman and Robin in a lot of the stories we've covered since Robin debuted. You know, they're swinging over the city, no doubt heading out to pound some crooks, and they're smiling and looking cool. I, I do wish Robin's cape wasn't green and, the, and that the buildings in the corner were uh, – more detailed, but I think this is a really strong cover too. And Batman number three was really fun with Batman and Robin charging into action. If covers had theme music, you would definitely hear the 1966 Batman theme with that one. Yeah. On the downside, the solid black background and the fact that the figures are one of Kane's stock poses are definite detractions. And I don't, I don't think the Batman logo works at all on that cover because it's just solid blue and it doesn't look as good that way. Yeah. Uh, so even though we had four strong covers with their ups and downs, I ultimately went with Batman number one. It's just an iconic and eye-catching cover. You know, if you view them all side by side, that one stands out to me. Maybe not the most, but my eye keeps going to that one. The yellow background with the huge Batman logo at the top and, and Batman and Robin swinging through the middle, I think really adds to that it's just a very eye-catching cover not as much i don't think as superman number one but it's a very good cover and definitely my choice for best cover of the year well very interesting choice uh for me now mike tells me how wrong i am (laughs) no not necessarily Uh, (laughs) for me there were three iconic covers and uh they are three that you've already mentioned new york world's fair 1940 detective comics number 38 and batman number one so for me, World's Fair, while very awesome, also has Superman on it. So for some – I don't know. That was like, well, this is supposed to be a Batman contest. And yeah. also Superman looks better than Batman and Robin, and they're all just standing there and waving, and it's not a Bat book. So I finally just eliminated it. Like my favorite thing about that cover is Superman, so that's not mm-hmm. a good reason to pick it. Right. Um, 
I was really close to picking Detective 38, just because it's the introduction of Robin, and it's 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 really fun. But the fact that they used it for both a cover and a splash page bugged me. And also, there's just something weird about Batman's chest on that cover that I've never liked. Like it looks like he's wearing like his underwear is pulled up too high or something like that. I don't understand. It bugs me. So. So guess which one I picked? Batman number one. We finally cool. we finally agreed on something. Um, may not be the best background, but I love the swooshing capes, mm-hmm. and I like that the dynamic duo is swinging through the city, you know, smiling and like it's the greatest gig on the planet. Yeah. Um, and that's like the first time. There was one cover between Robin's debut and this and Batman number one, but it was a it was kind of a generic. They're just fighting bad guys cover. Um, so this was like a full-blown, the dynamic duos, you know, here to stay or whatever. And um, also just the fact that it was, uh, it would make a great pinup, it'd make a great poster, and it was the cover to Batman number one. So, I mean, come on, right? Yeah, that's just cool. I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised we agreed on that one. I, I kind of had a feeling you would. I, I figured you would either pick that cover or Detective Thirty Eight. Which seems like were your top two choices, but I, I yep. thought you would ultimately go with the Detective Thirty Eight just because of Robin. Well, Detective Thirty Eight looks better as a splash page. Yeah, because Robin's foot isn't awkwardly cut off on that on fact, the splash page. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure why I didn't pick that as my favorite splash page, to be honest. But <laughs> oh well, <laughs> too late. Uh, next up, we have oh, now we're getting to it. We have worst story. Um. And that's me first, so I'm going to just come out and say the worst story for me was The Case of the Prophetic Pictures, Detective Comics number 42. Uh, We've made fun of this story many, many times (laughs) since reading it, and just to go over the things I truly hate about it, um, Wiley, a supposedly rich guy who's really in debt, which seems to happen often in the Batman world... um, buys up all these paintings from an artist for cheap in hopes to resell them at a profit. He then gets the artist on tall, uh, super famous with the help of some art agent and rich people are buying on tall art. So you think mission accomplished, right? But no, <laughs> instead, um, you know, better idea, kill the people who buy the paintings so that nobody wants to buy this guy's paintings. That doesn't even make sense to me. But, um, on top of that, uh, he's actually waiting for the person to wear the outfits they're wearing in the paintings before he kills them. So these dummies keep dressing up like they're paintings. <laughs> and worse yet, Batman and Robin can't save a victim to save their lives. You know, I mean, it's like it's all spelled out how you're going to die and what you're going to look like, but they can't get it together. And then, of course, the ending where Bruce Wayne has some inexplicably large life-size dummy of himself and puts Robin in the dummy and lets the dummy get shot at. Uh it was just really stupid. That or it was a tie between this story and every story in Batman number two, except <laughs> except Wolf Wolf the Crime Master, which I actually liked. What else was in Batman number two? Oh no, Batman number two had the Joker Catwoman story. That was a good story. No, no, t- no, you're forgetting that it wasn't a very good story. It had it had Joker having an operation in an airplane. <laughs> it had a okay. really long, awesome, awesome chase scene between Batman and the police, right, but it wasn't right. Batman. That's right. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was stupid. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, I really, really 
really wanted to pick The Land Behind the Light from Detective Comics number 44. I thought about that. But I realized my dislike of the story is based more on the tone of it than the merits of the story itself. So I chose, like my esteemed co-host, the case of the <laughs> pictures from Detective Comics number 42. Oh, my God. Did you really? How funny. There was just so much ridiculous stuff in it. We had – just to add to what you said, there was Batman sliding down a banister while yelling, yippee! Oh, God, I forgot about that part. Yeah. We had, we had Batman sending Robin to confront the villain while he does vague investigating. Oh, jeez. We had Robin hitting arrows out of the air with a slingshot when the villain was shooting this victim at point-blank range. Mm-hmm. And then we had, of course, the dummy, which is ridiculous in so many ways. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's That's interesting right. to me that the, the worst story of the year that I chose was also the same issue for worst cover. So, uh-huh. Uh, but, but as I said, I do, I, I do want to give a special dishonorable mention to The Land Behind the Light. <laughs> I know it was supposed to be just a silly little story, but it just feels so out of place compared to anything else that we've covered in, in the show. Yeah. But, but it, it, has that, it has that out where you could just say, well, but it wasn't real. Right. Then you, then you can't you can't be negative about it. It sucks. <laughs> right. Um, but moving on to our final category for best story of the year. This was another decision that wasn't easy. I thought there were several uh, strong candidates, including the first Hugo Strange story, the first Joker story, but the one that kept coming up as a strong favorite was Robin the Boy Wonder from Detective Comics number thirty-eight. There's just so much to love about that story. I really liked the parallels between the two characters' origins. I liked that Batman sort of guided Robin into taking care of Zuko himself, or at least, you know, helped him. Or at least, I mean, the least you could say is that he helped Batman take care of Zuko. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a really, really strong origin for Robin. And you may not appreciate me saying this, but I, it, I might even say it was better than the origin we got for Batman. But at the same time, it was six times longer, so it's not really a fair comparison between the two. Right. Um, well, that's funny because I picked the same story. So <laughs> I guess we started out disagreeing on everything, but we've come to a, All right. a, a unanimous conclusion anyway. Um, but it's kind of a fairly obvious choice. I mean, yeah. which is almost why I hated to make it. But I, there was really nothing else that came close to this story. Um, Robin's origin, I mean, it can't go wrong. And I love how Batman takes him under his wing. And even though it's 13 pages, I love that it was able to squeeze in. Not just that, I like that it squeezed in like a panel of Batman being reluctant to take this kid on at least a little bit. And that uh, there was also like that many months later montage of him training him and all that. That was just so cool. Um, and like, it is a very powerful origin. And um, I still think I like maybe Batman's better just for its simplicity. But uh, you gotta, you got. It's kind of cool that not only does Robin have a powerful origin, but his origin has Batman in it. Whereas, right, Batman's origin, you know, there is no Batman yet. So that was kind of cool. I mean, that that is a really great scene when Robin's upset, not sure what to do, and then out of nowhere, Batman shows up to like save his day. That's really cool. Um, this was also one of two stories involving Batman and Robin cleaning up an unnamed an unnamed town. Um, both stories, which I enjoyed thoroughly, because that's kind of Batman's bread and butter to to take on thugs in a town and 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 turn them over back to the law. So, uh, but in this case, it's also tied to 
you know, the first appearance of Robin, so that made it even cooler. And like you said, Batman, it seemed like Batman kind of took like a backseat to let Robin do it himself, or at least he designed the the plot to make it so that Robin could get his payback at the end. Yeah. Even though it wasn't really spelled out that way, that's kind of how I read it. Um, and then just most importantly, it was like the biggest game changer of the year, if not Batman's career. I mean, uh, love it or hate it, this story and the introduction of Robin certainly changed the overall vibe of Batman stories and made him much more popular than he was, really. I mean, the fact that every... Sensational character find of 1940. Seriously, I mean, every superhero from here on out is going to have a sidekick, except Superman. So what does that tell you about Robin's popularity, you know? I mean, it just blew the doors open for him. It may be why he got his own book. Who knows? Um, Probably not, but you never know. And lastly, Robin is just really, really awesome. And uh, we complain about the puns. But uh, I think they work better better for Robin. So really, I'm mostly complaining about puns when Batman uses them. I don't mind when Robin punches somebody and calls him a horse face. That's kind of funny. <laughs> um, and every time Robin does something cool, uh, it's always like three times cooler than when Batman does something cool. And I don't yeah. know why that is. Um, maybe he's, because, he's a kid. Yeah, that's probably why. Um, I've said it before. My inner child feeds on like power fantasies through Robin. Um I love when he walks on telephone lines or when he, you know, beats up a bunch of bad guys because he thinks they killed Batman or he takes out Batman with one punch or, you know, <laughs> things like that. It's just cool. So, yeah, this story started it all and it was exciting. And just to toot our own horn a little bit, um, I think that episode that we did on that story was pretty strong, too. And you had a wonderful recap of the story. Thank uh, you. That was episode 13, if you, know, if you haven't heard it, because it was before our hiatus. Uh, but yeah, definitely a strong story. Yeah. So any thoughts about the future? And last time we, we talked just briefly about what kind of things we were looking forward to. Yeah. And I tried to think about that this time and there's really, I mean, other than just more villains, I can't think of anything we haven't got. The bat signal. Oh, there you go. The bat signal. That'd be cool. But other than that, I, and the villains, I can't think of anything either. I mean, just more Gotham City, more Bat... I'd like a better Batmobile, but we know that's coming. I mean, right now we have a hood ornament. Right. be nice to get a cool one. Uh, the Batcave, I guess, we still haven't got. There you go. Uh, Alfred. Yeah, Alfred. Um, more reoccurring villains. I mean, heroes and villains would be nice. It's just more of what we're getting, I guess. It's just It just seems like it's expanding and getting better, so... All right. Well, that does it for 1940. Uh, we also want to thank Donovan Grant and Josh Bertoni and John Wilson for coming on the show in episode 14 to help us celebrate uh, the beginning of the Batman title. That was a fun episode to do, and mm-hmm. uh, we are happy to have them on. But thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. We are actually going to take a week off next week to kind of rest up and recharge our batteries. But we'll be back in two weeks, and in that episode, we will launch headfirst into 1941 with part one of our coverage of material from January, which is the lead story from Batman number four, titled The Case of the Joker's Crime Circus. Oh, what a good way to start a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, before then, we invite you to stop by the website at batmanlegends.com for show notes and back episodes. If you want to subscribe to the show, at the site you will find the iTunes link and the the RSS feed. If you use iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave an iTunes review. The site will also give you links to the show's Facebook and Twitter feeds, 
uh, follow the show on both sites to get updates whenever we have new episodes or other things about the totally awesome Batman to share. If you'd like to send us your thoughts on the stories of 1940 or anything related to the show, we welcome those and we'll read them on future episodes. Take your or take your questions, comments, feedback, or snarky comments and email them to podcast at batmanlegends.com. Or if that's too difficult, just stop by the website and use the handy-dandy contact form. Lastly, Mike and I have other shows that we would very much appreciate it if you check out. Mike is co-host of the New 52 Adventures of Superman, which you can find at new52superman.libsyn.com. And I host the Thrilling Adventures of Superman at greatcrypton.com and co-host Green Lantern's Light at greenlanternslight.com. Once more, we thank you for joining us. Uh, 1940 was great, and I think 1941 is going to have a lot of surprises. So stick with us and tell your friends. Uh, But that's it for this episode, so we'll see you next time. See you in two weeks. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Copyright DC Comics. 